Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of 1 Peter 5. Your tax-deductible contributions enable us to continue our work to restore Catholic culture and rebuild Catholic tradition. Make a real difference in the church. Go to 1peter5.com forward slash donate today. You're listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. So we have yet another terrorist attack, this time in San Bernardino, California. 14 people are dead, 17 wounded, some critically. Despite the media and authorities doing everything that they can to keep speculation away from Islamic terror, we got word late last night that one suspect's name was Syed Farouk, obviously a Middle Eastern name. Later last night, we hear from the guy's dad. He says his son is a devout Muslim. We know that he's a government employee, that he's worked as an inspector for the county's public health department for years. More information dribbles in. This morning we hear that Farouk was attending a holiday party with his co-workers. Next thing you know, he's shooting people as they're lining up for a group photo. With him is a young woman named Tashfin Malik, who we later learn is Farouk's wife, who he met online and traveled to Saudi Arabia uh, to go bring home. The two had a baby, six months old. They lived in middle-class suburbia. They were described as living the American dream. They left their child with grandparents to go wage jihad at his workplace, wearing GoPro cameras to record the massacre. Farouk was reportedly well-liked, the stereotypical nice guy nobody saw coming. He didn't talk religion at work, he did his job. One man who worked in the area near Farouk's home said that he had noticed half a dozen Middle Eastern men congregating there in recent weeks, but he didn't want to report it because he didn't want to be racially profiling people. With me right now is Andrew Bizad, uh, 1 Peter 5 contributor, Islamic scholar, author of Lions of the Faith, and uh, I think another new book from Catholic Answers as well on Islam. Andrew, what are the lessons that people need to learn from this if they don't want it to happen again? Well, Steve, thanks for having me back again. Well, the lessons from this are pretty simple, and there's something I've been saying for a very long time. The most important you can come away with is that Islam is Islam. It's not a race. It's not a culture. It is a religion. And what people can come away from this is that Islamic teaching denies the intrinsic human dignity of the person. Islamic teaching allows, it does not mandate, but it permits for Muslims to abuse up to and including torturing and killing non-Muslims so long as it is being done for the cause of Allah. What, what Farouk did was actually quite Islamic. He didn't have to kill his co-workers as his co-workers knew. He was a friendly person. They knew him for a very long time. But the fact that he chose to murder them one day for the cause of Allah, there is nothing morally wrong with that. Because in, according to Islamic teaching, the non-Muslim does not possess the same human dignity that a Muslim has. Because according to Islam, human dignity is conditional upon them and practice of Islam. 
Every child is born a Muslim, but the parents make him a Christian, a Jew, or a pagan. If you understand this theology, it is not mandated by Islam that Muslims have to abuse and kill or mistreat non-Muslims. But the fact is, they are allowed to do it, especially if it is being done for the cause of Allah. Because anything that is done, because anything goes in Islam, as long as it is done for the cause of Allah, which is the spread and propagation of Islam. As Muhammad said, the, the ends justify the means. So, I had a debate last night with someone on Facebook um, about Islam. Uh, you know, everybody last night was talking about what was going on. And I said, as I always do, that Islam is an inherently violent and radical religion if one reads the fundamental texts of, of Islam. And this individual countered and said that, well, you know, since it's a false religion, it doesn't really have central tenets. It doesn't have a magisterium like Catholics do. There's no unifying belief. And so we can't pin this on the religion. Um, they argued, in fact, that there are entire countries of Muslims that don't act this way. So, so saying that Islam is this way uh, argues for a coherence and a systemization that doesn't exist. What do you say to that? Well, that's a very simple question to answer. Islam is Muhammad, and Muhammad is Islam. This is the Muslims' own understanding. They call Muhammad, the founder of Islam, al-insan al-kamil, the perfect man. Islamic theology and practice. The, 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 the orthodoxy and the orthopraxis is found in the life, actions, and sayings of Muhammad. It's basically WWMD. What would Muhammad do? And if you want to see a perfect Muslim, a man that Muslims regard as more perfect than Jesus, even though, at the same time, they say that Jesus is sinless and Muhammad committed sin. Now, having, now, now knowing that, what did, what did Muhammad do? Muhammad was, if you look at the writings of Islam, he was a liar, a pedophile, a necrophile, a mass murderer. He claimed he was possessed by devils on more than one occasion. The man died a miserable death. He lived a life that was undignified of anything that could ever be compared with in terms of a, a biblical patriarch or, G, or, or Jesus or any of the very famous characters from the Bible, except perhaps the, some of the infamous ones. Muhammad was, in the words of St. John of Damascus and Hilaire Baloch, he was a heresiarch of heretists, the greatest of all heretics, and he embraced all kinds of deviant teachings and taught them to his followers and taught that beatitude is is found beginning in this life, it continues to the hereafter, and that indeed one may impose your Islam on another person by means of force. Because in the verily paradise is under the shade of swords. People say that Islam is not people say that Islam is not violent because there are a lot of not Muslims who are not violent. Well great, there's a lot of people who who do all kind of different things in their with, with regard to their religion. There are Catholics who believe in the Catholic faith. There are Muslims, there are Catholics who don't believe in it. There are Muslims who believe in Islam. There are Muslims who do not practice Islam well. The fact is, no individual human or groups of people define what Islam is. Islam is defined in terms of Muhammad by its own teaching. You want to know what Islam is? Look at Muhammad. Read the Sirah, the biography of Muhammad, written by Ibn Ishaq in the 7th century, late 7th, early 8th century. Read the Hadith, the, the Islamic tradition, Read it in the context of the Qur'an. If you don't believe that, read all of the mutafassirin, the commentators, beginning 
from the 7th century through the 14th century, they are all the same, just in the same way that Catholic teaching is consistent from the 1st century through the 20th century in terms of its orthodoxy. There is no change. Of course, there are heretics in every age. People who have deviant ideas, there are Muslim heretics, there are Catholic heretics. These are well known. The fact is no heretic speaks for Islam as no heretic speaks for the Catholic faith. And, and the consistency there really is based on not a, a living tradition or the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but the fact that everything goes back to and relies upon those foundational texts, correct? Very correct. Even for the Shia, who believe that revelation can change, even for the Shia, they actually place more emphasis on Muhammad's life than even the Sunni do, because the, 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 they focus around the called the Al-Bayt, the family of the Prophet, the Prophet of, of, I should say, the family of Muhammad is what, is what this is. So either way, Muhammad is the example. Islam is Muhammad, and Muhammad is Islam. That is where perfection is found, and you find it in these foundational texts. So if that's even the Shias know, if this. that's the case, then I mean, you hear people talking about Islamic reformation. You know, they say it's time for Islam to undergo a reform. Is there a way? Uh, since it's not predicated upon divine revelation, um, so, you know, ultimately it should be changeable with that in mind. Can it be reworked and rebranded into some nice conciliatory version of generic Islam? I mean, is that even possible? I will bring up one of my favorite Reformation movements from uh, Islamic history. And this began in the ninth century, around the year 833, under a caliph by the name of Al-Mamun. Now, Al-Mamun was a follower of a particular... Um, Islamic uh, philosophical schools called Mutazilia, disassociationism. And without getting too much into Mutazilite theology, the Mutazilites were heretics. And their, one of their main contentions was that the, that, that the Quran is created. The Islam does not, Islam, as much as Islam will say that Jesus is not God and that there is no such thing as a trinity and so forth, the theology of Jesus' relationship to the Father is the same theology that Muslims use when describing the relationship of the Quran, the sacred, the sacred scripture of Islam, to Allah. Jesus is the God, is the Quran is to Allah. There is no difference in the theology. The Mutazilites said, well, this is ridiculous. The Orthodox Muslims said, no, it does not matter if it does not make intellectual sense because in Allah does what he wills. And there was a theologian who appeared by the name of Ahmad ibn Hanbal from Persia and he was considered a reformer of that time because he wanted to bring people back to this true teaching that Islam real that that the, that the Quran is without creation and that it is eternal again this is in spite of the theology that I have just described to you and that's another point to bring, to bring about Islam orthopraxy is valid over orthodoxy it does not really matter if something makes logical sense or not if Allah has decreed it, Allah has decreed it, and you are to believe it as such without questions. And Muhammad, as I mentioned in my last uh, interview that I gave, he chastised people and said that they were going to fall into hell because they asked too many questions. Because he's a capricious and arbitrary God. Yes, but that, the, but that is because in the Allahu yafalu ma Allah does what He wills. Allah is powerful. He is omnipotent over all things, even if it contradicts His very nature. Which, of course, you can't ask the question. <laughs> so what happened? After a 20-year struggle, the Mutazilites eventually lost. They were exterminated. They were rounded up, put to death, and forced. some of them forced into other countries. Other people they're, they're, who found their books, they burned their books. 
and Ahmad ibn Hanbal became renowned as a great Muslim reformer and champion of orthodoxy. And who and Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he is considered the most orthodox of all the Muslim scholars, and his theology and theological ideas, especially in matters where there was some degree of interpretation, not in terms of divine revelation, but in terms of orthopraxy, because remember, Islam places a greater emphasis on orthopraxy as opposed to orthodoxy, they guided the foundation, they, centuries later, would influence a Muslim preacher by the name of Muhammad ibn Wahhab in Saudi Arabia. From whence we get Wahhabism. Mm. So any, any reform movement in Islam is moved toward orthodoxy, not toward heresy. We need more Muslim heresy. <laughs> heresy is what brings them to conversion. Heresy is what, is what gets rid of the violence. You'll find, and I challenge anybody to challenge me on this, look into it. The more a Muslim sect is heretical, and by that, a Shia versus a Sunni. And then when you get into the Shias, you get into some of the more eclectic sects, like the Seveners, the Fivers, some of the, um, some of the, some of the Turkish sects that appear in Eastern Turkey that mixed actually Christian practices with Islamic teaching. You'll find these ones are the ones who are far more inclined to peace and inclined to renounce, deny, or not partake in the jihads. But it is the ones who are more orthodox, who want to bring Islam, who want to have the, a reformation back to the true roots of Islam that are, you find in the ISIS, you find in these terrorist groups, because they are following Muhammad. So, you know, you brought up ISIS. What's interesting about this attack is, from what I've seen, it doesn't appear that these people were directly affiliated with ISIS. We saw ISIS on social media supporting the attacks. You know, they started a, a hashtag. I can't remember. I think it was America Burning or something, you know, equally juvenile. Um, but, but, but at the same time, so if this is not an ISIS uh, planned attack, is what we're seeing here this this idea of Islamic empowerment where ISIS, because of what they're doing, we're seeing, you know, people just on their own taking up taking up yes. arms, saying, you know, I, I'm going to do the same thing. It's it's time to wage jihad. Yes, because they believe Allah is fighting for them. You see, with Islam, it is very clear. It's not Islamic history. These time, these teachings, these these this violence has always been with Islam. It will always be a part of it because it's a part of the theology. You cannot separate the violence without separating the theology, which means you have to change divine revealed teaching, which means you have a new religion that is not Islam. You cannot you cannot separate the violence from the theology. Having said that, there are many Muslims who do not commit violence, but the fact is the tendency always exists there. It always exists. And the only thing that stops a Muslim from becoming violent versus not being violent is his will. It's because he chooses not to. But should he choose to follow the teachings of his religion in this regard, there is no sin involved. Your Muslim people who lived in Eastern Europe, like in Bosnia and the other in um, Serbia, had this experience where they lived side by side for centuries. I shouldn't say centuries. I should say I should say decades, decades under communist rule. They had been fighting with each other for centuries. Is what I mean to say. And after, as soon as the communist rule fell apart, and there was some law and order, and some of these Muslim militias had the chance to assert themselves. They just rose up and murdered their neighbors, having, despite having been friends for years. This is the thing I think that's so puzzling to people. I mean, you know, we're accustomed to having the commandments and the moral law and, and precepts and things like that that hold us back. You know, I think of that um, 
that apocryphal quote that's always attributed to Dostoevsky, where if God is not, then everything is permissible. Well, if God is Allah, everything is permissible as long as it is in the cause of Islam. Yes. And this is the thing that I think people can't wrap their minds around. And yet, even if you can accept this concept that there is no prohibition, in fact, it could be laudatory for someone to do something like this. Here you have a guy, he's been working for the government for, if I remember correctly, five years. He's well-liked. He does a good job in his work. He lives in a middle-class neighborhood. You know, he's, he's by all measure, uh, integrated into American life and, and happy. He started a family. He did all this. What is the trigger for these guys to suddenly decide, I'm going to go in and kill a bunch of people? It's the call of Islam. Just like, just like the Catholic faith. The man, the only thing that separates a man from becoming violent, as opposed to a man not being violent, is the will. If he want, the more one follows his Muslim faith, his father said he was a faithful Muslim. That is where it came from. Because he wanted to practice his Islam more perfectly. As this is in the Quran, chapter 5, verse 4. اليوم أكملت دينكم عليكم. Today I have perfected your religion. I have chosen Islam as your way of life. This is so important to remember. The more a person become, the more a person desires to follow Islam and conform and, and form himself according to the teachings, the more one will necessarily have to embrace and act upon the violence that is in Islam because it is the religion. Just like in the same way, one who embraces the Catholic faith will naturally have to find himself becoming more meek, more pious, more gentle, more inclined to forgive others and to renounce himself because that is what the Catholic faith teaches. There is no difference. Again, I, I think of the example of Saladin and St. Francis of Assisi. Both of them were young party boys. Both of them loved to hook up with chicks during their time. <laughs> and what happened? Both of them eventually had a religious conversion and wanted to follow their religions to their respective perfect ends. Saladin became a warrior and a terrorist. St. Francis became one of the greatest saints that we've ever had in the church, a model for mercy and piety and love and, and steadfastness through persecution. That is the difference between them. In your experience... What do the other generally integrated nonviolent Muslims just, hey, live in a life in America, you know, what do they think when they see attacks like this? Do they support it? Do they oppose it? Do they feel conflicted? What is their reaction? That is what they think. Her silence is consent. In Islam, it is very clear. And this is a dirty secret that no one to talk about. When you see of the, a lack of outcry from the Muslim community. That is their way of saying they support what happened. In Islam, the si silence in the face of an action is consent to it. It is only when one speaks out. And, there, and this actually comes from Muhammad and his example when he was molesting the, the, the six-year-old girl Aisha. Because what did he say to her? He said, he asked her, if it was okay that she marry him and she sleep with him. And she said nothing. And Muhammad looked at her father and Abu Bakr and said, her silence is her consent. The same principle applies to Islam. Their silence is their consent. So when you see the lack of outcry, the defense of this person and what he did, that is their giving consent to it without saying it. It is a different way of what we are used to thinking to, but that is how Islam thinks. You know, I, I know we've had you in before and we've talked a little bit about your background, but I, I can imagine somebody sitting here listening to you and thinking, 
you know, who is this Catholic white boy? How does he know what they believe and practice in the quiet of their home or in their mosque? What is your experience that tells you that this is the way that they, they view things? I've just spent the past 17, almost 18 years of my life studying Islam. I have a library of Islamic texts, master's degree in Islamic studies, published two books, soon to be three on Islam and Islamic, and Islamic studies. Um, I was actually, when I was in college, I was actually practicing to be a hafiz, which is a person who recites the Quran inside and out. Can't do it like I used to. But I've been doing this for more than half of my life. And how many, I mean, you have connections to people, though, in the Islamic community. This isn't just academic for you, right? I mean, you know people and you know the way that they think. Sure, I was invited to be a part of the Muslim Brotherhood. <laughs> I yep. mean, why, why would they invite you? I mean, why would they invite you to, to be a part I, of Because I was an intellect and I was studying it. I was actually, I can speak of his name now because he's deceased. His name was Dr. Ibrahim Abu Rabia, very well-known Islamic scholar. He invited me over to his mansion one day. Um, I had been working with one of his, with his brother, Hazet, and um, he asked me straight out if I wanted to work with him and his work with the Muslim Brotherhood. And he, he was... I could have had a scholarship, and I could have traveled. As he said, um, they had some foundations in D.C. They had a foundation in D.C., the International Institute of Islamic Thought they work with. Um, also, I would have had the opportunity to go to, as he said, Britain, Egypt, and Pakistan on some of their wor- outreach they do. <laughs> what was your response to him? Uh, that's nice. Let me get back to you, because I was in his house, and I had a mouthful of food. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, shoot, I can't believe I just got asked this. So I uh, left and didn't go back. All right. So let me ask you this. What is it then that people should be looking out for in their communities? I mean, is there a way to stop this? Because these guys were, I mean, they were a part of people's everyday life. They they didn't come in from outside. You know, th- this guy worked for the government. He worked in one of the most mundane jobs. Know the Muslims and know where the mosques are. Remember, in Muhammad's time, the, the mosques, Muhammad used his mosques as military bases, they did weapons caching in them. They did military training through the mosques. They recruited for his jihads within the mosques. Where there is a mosque, you can assume it is a military base. Because remember, that is what Muhammad did. And Islam is WWMD. What would Muhammad do? Remember, if a person believes in Islam, they don't have to believe. That is their choice. Just like a person does not have to be Catholic. You know, they can say, well, my ancestors practiced. No, that's as St. Saint, Saint, Saint John of Barbera says, which I'm actually translating one of his books on Islam right now from the, 17th, from the 16th century, um, which will be my next book I'm going to come out with. But St. He's, he's Saint John of Rivera says that the most pernicious lie is that one must persist in the sect of, one ant, of one's ancestors. And he was speaking with regard to Islam. If you are a Muslim, you're a Muslim by choice. You know, if you are, especially if you are a pious Muslim, practice your faith you know what muhammad did and if you don't then you should read the, the and, and if you don't i have a hard time believing that you, you, you have not read the sirah you have not read the hadith the the mutafassirin the the the, the, tawarikh, the histories the quran the sacred scripture muhammad's life is very clear muhammad himself even said that he lived that he spoke and acted in a way to provide clear proof so that those so, so that people would believe in the truth of his religion they know what Muhammad was. The fact is they consent to it. Remember, they may not say they do, but their silence is their consent. And even if they do, and even if they say, well, we don't believe in it, in Islam, you're allowed to practice what is called taqiyah, which means lying for Allah. So they, a Muslim might lie to you and say, oh, I don't believe in that when he really does. 
And there's no way to know. There is no way to know. You must assume that if a person believes in Islam, and this sounds very uh, discriminatory to our modern uh, uh, liberal ideas about human nature, the fact is if a person believes in Islam, he does so by choice. You must assume that he knows the teachings. He might not know. We, and obviously we also have a moral obligation as Catholics to reach out to them and try to convert them for the sake of their souls. Because Islam is the, role, is the religion that leads to hell. You know, you've touched on a couple of points um, that I actually wanted to ask you about, so I'm going to hit those now. Uh, sure. the, the thing that you said about the mosques, I mean, you've told me before that pretty much every mosque has some radicalism, you know, and now you've reiterated again that this is what Muhammad used the mosque for, is military recruitment. But what, what are people supposed to do when they hear that a new mosque is being built in their area? I mean, should they oppose it? Or are there ways to do that without being branded a racist or an Islamophobe? I know Islam isn't a race, but you still get the label. I mean, how do concerned citizens gain traction if they're worried about this? In an American society, you're not going to be able to avoid it because of the leftist control and the socialist control of the media. The socialists, they don't really care about Islam. They see it as a means to an end of control. The way to fight it is to be obviously respectful and courteous, but to document everything on video to use any and all legal means possible to fight it, and to be very to be very vocal and not back down. Remember, Islam. Muhammad was a big bully. He was a big bully, and he and he would only attack people that he knew were weaker than him or that he thought were weaker than him. If they push, you have to push back. You do not back down ever. There was a story I was told by an old Coptic woman in New York City at the Coptic Orthodox Church, one of the Coptic Orthodox churches, and she was actually attacked by a couple of Muslim men in Egypt, and she fought them off. She fought them off, and she insulted their religion and their prophet. And she, uh, to put to paraphrase what she said, your God is crap, your religion is crap, your prophet is crap, and you are crap because you believe in them. And she, she beat them with her fists and her purse, and the two ran away. They thought they were going to have an easy target. That is what is so important. We just roll over and die and say, oh, we have to be respectful of all people. No, we do not. We do not have to respect deviancy. Islam is an evil religion. For those of you who are listening, get this through your heads. Islam is a religion that denies your human dignity. They think you're a dog. They, they liken non-Muslims to pigs and monkeys. Read the Quran. Read the Hadith. They don't think you're human. And they, and even if a, a, perhaps an individual Muslim does not believe in that as a person, the fact is, he, by his belief in this religion, he is consenting to this teaching. Just like you might be a bad Catholic, but the fact is, if you accept the Catholic faith, or say you do, you accept the Catholic Church's teachings. It does not matter if you're a heretic. You are still bound by them. Andrew, we had an article about a week ago. And it was about Bishop Barron's response to the Paris attacks. And I don't know if you read it. But, I did um, see it. I saw his response. So he says that we should respond to Islamic terror with love. And he implied that nonviolence should be our, our first recourse. Maureen Malarkey, who writes for us, said that that is a sure path to dimitude. What does well, I mean, so what does loving our enemies look like when it comes to militant Islam? What is the correct response? And what do you think of what Bishop Barron said? I, I put it like this. You have to stand up to them. If, if, let me ask you this. Your cousin, if you have a, female, a woman who was a cousin, she was a drug addict and a crack whore. Would you say, oh, well, I love you, so I'm going to let you keep smoking that crack and whoring yourself on the street corner. No, you don't. You love her by getting her the help she needs, even sometimes, even if she doesn't want to get it. You do what you can to help her. You find clever ways. You assert it, and you don't accept her behavior. 
you don't let her do that around you or your children. And, you, and like that is looking out for her best interest. The same with the Muslims. You pray for them. We make sacrifice for them. But when they rise up and they say, I'm going to kill you, infidel, you say, you say, bring you say, no, you're not welcome here. Your religion is perverse and evil, and you're going to be, and you are perverse and evil if you choose to persist in it. You must stand up. That is love. Love is not capitulation to evil. You know, capitulation to, to evil is capitulation to evil. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't. I can't argue with that, and I appreciate the forcefulness with which you say that. Um, Somebody's got to say it. No one else is saying it. You know, I, something that I um, that I find myself wondering more lately. Uh, we all are busy. We all have a lot going on. We're drowning in information all the time. Um, I rely on you a lot, and and some others, to provide me information and insight into this religion. That I mean, I'm constantly looking for time to study my own religion more. Uh, I don't have time to look into Islam. I mean, what do you, do you think that Americans need to be, or are people in the West in general, that they need to be studying Islam because it's the only way to understand what you they're up against? Islam? I'm going to tell you readers right now. There's only one book you need to read about Islam. Forget the Quran. I, the Quran is a channel book. The, the Quran is a channel book. It was channeled by Muhammad says the angel Gabriel. We know it was a demon. You don't need to read the words of a demon. You want to read the best book on Islam? It's about 800 pages. It was written in the 7th century, late 7th, early 8th century by Ibn Ishaq, I-S-H-A-Q. It's called The Life of Muhammad. It sells for about $35 on Amazon.com, translated by Alfred Guillaume. That is the life, that is the earliest biography we have of Muhammad. It's called the Sira, S-I-R-A, it's sometimes known as. Again, the, the translation by Alfred Guillaume is the best published by Oxford University Press, reprinted continuously since 1961. It is Remember, Islam is Muhammad, and Muhammad is Islam. You know, you read that biography, you will know Muhammad, and you will know what Islam is. But, but I mean, it, how, how many people are going to do that? How many people, you know, who don't have time to read the Bible or the catechism, I mean, they're not going to do that. How do we, like, what is, is there an imperative? Is there a moral imperative that Catholics and others in the West educate themselves on Islam or, you know, I, I'm trying to understand what the pragmatic approach is for people who may listen to this podcast and be like, man, that guy, you know, he knows his stuff, but then this is the end of it. Follow the news. Again, I, again, one cannot know everything and one should, should not be expected to know everything. We all have our lives and things we have to do. But what I'm saying is if you had to make one investment in your life about Islam, one thing to learn, this is what to, this, that's what to read. You want to you want to you want to spend any amount of money, the least amount of money, the least amount of time that gets you the most bang for your buck. Read that book because WWMD. Exactly. Once you read that book, all the news, all the theology, all of Islamic history will make instant sense. Andrew, I can't thank you enough. Um, before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to plug your book, which I believe was just made into an ebook. Yes, my book is Lions of the Faith: Saints, Blessed, and Heroes of the Catholic Faith in the Struggle with Islam. It's a book that tells the story of great men and women who fought with, who fought against Muslim armies and Muslims, who converted, who, who prayed for them, who made Muslim converts, and who died for the sake of the Catholic faith in trying to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Muslims. You can get an ebook right now on Amazon.com. Download a copy. It'll be well worth your while. And obviously, if anybody has any questions, you can send them to you, and I'll do what I can to help them out with it. Well, and we'll link to that book. Um along with the podcast today. Do you, you have another book, though, with Catholic Answers, right, that just came out? Correct. Yeah, it's Islam, 20 Questions, published by Cat, 
by Catholic Answers Press. You can go to you can go to Catholic.com and go to their store, and you will find it under the 20 questions section. I answer 20 common questions about Islam based on based from the Islamic sources: the Quran, the Hadith, the the Tawarikh, the Mutafassirin. We'll we'll link to that too. Then, um, uh, you know, one last question. You know, you're talking about your book and talking about saints making converts of Islam and. You know, Hilaire Belloc, uh, Beloche, as you call him, uh, you know, he he spoke about the fact that missionary efforts have been largely unsuccessful against Islam. You know, as people, you know, not all Catholics believe in evangelization anymore, unfortunately. But for those of us who do, who believe that souls are at stake and conversion to the Catholic faith is the only path to salvation, what is the approach, you think, that will actually bring converts from Islam into Catholicism? Maybe Pope Francis can take a lesson from what I'm about to say. If you want to make converts to Islam, the, the answer is very simple. Consecrate Russia to Our Lady of Fatima. That is the answer. Fatima is everything to do. It's Fatima, yes, it happened in Portugal, but it is intimately connected to the conversion of the, Mus- to the, conversion of the Muslims beginning in the Crusades and the death of Islam in the Iberian Peninsula. Bishop Fulton J. Sheen himself said that the said that the missionaries will find success in the Muslim world in proportion to the degree of which they preach Our Lady and specifically Our Lady of Fatima, because the more a Muslim, the more a Muslim uh, draws himself closer to Our Lady and comes to understand her, the more they come to acquire the belief that Jesus is God, and the further and the less that she is preached, the less. Or not at all will they acquire that belief. Is there a parallel there with Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Aztec yes. people? Our Lady of Guadalupe actually comes from Spain. The original one from 1340, the Battle of Rio Salado. They found a statue of Our Lady. I think it was brought to Spain by St. Leander of Seville in the 4th century that was hidden. You wrote about that a while back. I'll actually link that article as well. It's, it's in my book, too. I tell the whole story of it. And the reason why Bishop Zumarraga saw called it Our Lady of Guadalupe was because if you look at her, she's standing on the crescent moon. What is the crescent moon? It's the sign of Islam that Muhammad has always carried into battle. Muhammad's armies have always carried the crescent moon of Islam. You know, before I let you go, I keep I keep saying I'm going to let you go, and then I keep thinking of one more thing. Hmm. Um, Turkey, Erdogan, what's going on? What's going on with Erdogan? I'll tell you what's going on with him. That was intentional what he did. And he's made the Russians angry. And thank goodness for the Russians, they're actually embracing their, or- they actually become more Russian Orthodox and they're embracing their faith and they're looking to work more with Catholics, Catholic people, and at least be supportive of them, which is a very big change for Russia. This is again why I say the consecration of Russia is so important, because we see these things happening in Russia right now. I, Russia has not been consecrated. Imagine what would happen if it was consecrated. Right? Now you're saying that with absolute certitude, and obviously there's a lot of controversy about that. So, I mean, Absolutely. how do you stake out your position? How do I stake out my position? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. There is There are two currents in Russian society. Again, I speak fluent Russian, and I, I, I'm a Russophile myself. There are two currents. There is a large pagan current in Russian society. There's also a very strong Christian current. As far as the consecration, look into the history of the consecration. There are four times... That, that the world was consecrated, and those consecrations were renewed. Our Lady, our, uh, our Lady Sister Lucia herself said Russia was not consecrated per Our Lady's instructions that she was given. The evidence is online. You can find it. There are many letters written about it. There are many people who have written about it. It's, it's been documented for years. 
I mean, to me, the biggest thing is, you know, the promises of Our Lady didn't come to pass. Uh, that's, that's, to me, the thing that's most indicative of there being a problem. Because Russia's not Catholic yet. No, And that is not. why I say it is so important. You see these tendencies, a great pagan tendency rising in Russia, and also a very strong Christian tendency. And he's gone. Well, we lost Andrew, um, but I think we were already at the end of the interview. So uh, I want to thank you all for listening today. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, we will revisit this, uh, no doubt, in the future, and hopefully not on the occasion of another attack. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated. Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. Please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. That's www.1peter5, all spelled out, all one word, dot com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash 1peter5. If you feel we've provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page and make a contribution. It not only helps pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.